I'd ask you to turn in God's Word to the book of Luke. We've started our series in Luke. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. Verses 5 to 25. Now the book of Luke is a bit like an episode in a major TV series. But it's very real, unlike TV series. Why do I say that? You see, we don't just start with the book of Luke. Something has happened before the book of Luke starts. What has happened? Well, from previously in the Bible, if I can use a movie term, we find that God created this world. He created everything in this world. He created mankind on this world. And then... It didn't stay like that, did it? Adam sinned. And his wife with him, they rebelled against God and by doing that they caused the separation to come, a gulf of sin to come between them and God. And the result of that was death. But God didn't just leave them in that helpless estate, otherwise we'd be right there as well. No, God chooses a man called Abraham and through Abraham he brings forth a nation called Israel and he wants to show through his nation Israel, his own beloved people, he wants to show the rest of the world later on through history as well how God pours out his mercy on mankind and how he has made a way for man back to him. But even his own nation Israel is not faithful to him. And God shows through them and through their rebellion that he will continue to show grace and mercy if people will come to him and bow the knee and ask him for forgiveness. And then right through the Old Testament we find prophecies of one who is to come called the Messiah who will permanently bring man into a relationship with God again, if they come through this Messiah and ask for God's mercy. And so when we studied the book of Malachi previously, the last book in the Old Testament, we found even in the last part of its pages a reference to this one who would come, the Messiah. But in God's timing and in his predetermined plan, The moment of deliverance has now come. Mankind thought it was all dark and hopeless, but God knew now is the time in my plan for mankind to act. And so if we were in a movie set, the camera now turns from darkness and it zooms in on one little couple, an old couple in Israel. And that's where our reading commences. Luke chapter 1, verses 5. Read with me in your, in your Bibles, please. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias. Your Bible might say Zechariah. I'll speak about that. Of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, 
and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for I have heard your petition, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and here he quotes now from the book of Malachi, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. We see this old couple, an elderly couple, and the man's name is Zechariah, or the Hebrew name Zechariah, which means Jehovah has remembered. <clears throat> now just think a little bit about that. His name means Jehovah has remembered. And yet here he is, him and his wife, and they are childless. And he must have thought to himself, how does that work? Here I am as a priest, serving in a priestly line from the line of Abijah. This is a line of priests that David selected way back in the Old Testament. And there were now 24 divisions of them. 18,000 priests at this stage serving. How come God doesn't hear my prayer? His wife's, wife's name Elizabeth meant God is an oath, or God remembers 
his oath completely. He is the completely reliable one. And so this couple are married and they're serving God faithfully year in, year out, year in, year out. And yet they remain without children. Now you need to remember that in those days, children were very, very important to the passing on of the line, to the blessing of the parents. They were the only way a couple could survive in the old age. And generally it was believed that when a priest married someone from a priestly line, he was a man and woman from a priestly line, then God must bless them. And when you look at God's word, verse 6, he says, this couple were a righteous couple. They were faithfully being obedient to the word of God, says God's word, and they were living and walking blamelessly before him. They were showing grace in a time when grace was not on display much. Because the nation themselves were off from God. They were off living at a tangent from God's principles. And if they were going to the temple, most of them, they were going through the motions of worship. And here we find this faithful and this blessed couple, and yet they are childless. And the people must have looked at Elizabeth and thought to themselves, why does God bring this sign of disfavor on them? When they saw this couple working before the Lord, there was a social stigma surrounding them. And maybe Elizabeth was even shunned and looked down on and despised, as so often happened those days. But you know, you have to look at Elizabeth and her reaction And you see that right at the end of our text. But she did not react as a victim in the circumstances. She did not get bitter at God for a lack of bringing a child to her. She seems to have accepted her state that God had put her in and continued with her husband to serve God faithfully anyway. Great lesson to us. And so we have this day of prayer that our text describes. Zechariah was serving There was nothing special about this day when he set off to do his priestly duties. The sun didn't shine in any special way. He didn't see any rainbows in the sky. He just went another day to work. It was another day where the people would come and perform their ritual of worship before the Lord when he as a priest would come and burn incense on the people's behalf And the incense was there to show that he would bring the people's prayers and on their behalf come before the Lord, offer incense on the altar of incense in the most holy place. Now I want to stop just a minute here and if you want to bring that diagram up of the temple. Now he would be in the most holy place which was this room at the bottom over here and you'll see that that curtain, a very thick curtain that was hanging down. That was the very same curtain that was torn in two when Christ was crucified. And it separated a back room over there called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And no man entered there except the high priest and that was once a year. So he was in this little room called the Holy Place. 
And, and in, the, in the holy place, you might just see very small there, there was the altar of incense. And it was his turn on this day to come and offer incense to the Lord. And the people would be outside praying and they would be down on their faces with their hands outstretched praying while the priest was here on their behalf bringing their prayers to the Lord. And this happened twice a day, morning and mid-afternoon, about three o'clock in the afternoon. And the rule was, according to the Jewish Talmud, or the rules for the priests, that the priest would only stay inside that little space for a very short time offering this incense to the Lord, because if he stayed for longer, he might, be, he might sin in some way, and then he'd have to start the whole process all over again. So he would only stay there for a very short time, offer the incense, and then come out and pronounce God's blessing on the people. Today, it wouldn't be like that. You see, I want you to come into the scene with me. We're going to go into that little room, and we're going to set the scene. And you need to be with me as Zechariah walks into the temple. He's got his two assistants with him, the one bearing the hot coals, the other one bearing the incense. And they come with Zechariah into this most holy place. And the assistants put their various objects down, their coals onto the altar, and the incense ready to be offered. And then the attendants go out again and they close these big heavy doors behind Zechariah. Now we're there with Zechariah in this place. It is dead quiet. There's this curtain hanging down. It is completely quiet, he can't hear hear the people praying outside. And here he is. This is the pinnacle of his career. He's been chosen by Lot. A priest could only perform this once in his whole career and then his turn was over. And here he is. This is the moment. He puts the incense on the altar and as he does so, he makes two prayers. One was to pray on behalf of the people, offering God as this incense was going up, the nation's prayers of forgiveness and asking for the peace of God to come on the nation. And as he puts this incense on the altar, he prays their prayer. And the other prayer he had to pray for was God's blessing on the nation. And he makes his prayers. We know he does, and we'll see why shortly. And with that must have been another prayer. And we see later what that prayer was. Lord, Elizabeth and I was with our child. We've asked you so many years, Lord. And once again, I want to ask you, can you bless us with a child? Imagine that scene, dead quiet. And then suddenly, as he's prayed, he looks up and hears this angel standing in front of him. Now this is not a normal day at the office. You see, how do we know that? Zechariah knew. When an angel suddenly appears, this is not normal. It either means that I'm about to die, or that God is sending a message specifically to me. One of those two. And so he opts for the dying one. Because he is fearful. The angel says to him, do not be fearful. So we know he thinks he's about to die. What does the angel say to him? 
He says, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer or your petition has been heard. Three parts have been heard. The Lord has heard all three. Your prayer on behalf of the people's intercession. Your prayer for God's blessing on the people has been heard. And Zechariah, God has heard your prayer too. And then the angel carries on with a specific message from the Lord. What does he say to him? He says to him in verse 13, Zechariah, you will have a son. Now, for a Jewish man to hear that, that was a double blessing. He was going to have a child, yes, but he was going to have a son, one who would carry on the family name. You are going to have a son. But this son is going to be not just the normal son, Zechariah. His name is to be John. And Zechariah would have known what that means. That means John's name meant Yahweh is gracious. So yes, God has heard your prayer. He is the faithful one. He has kept to his oath, like your name and your wife's name, but your son's name is going to be a confirmation of that. Yahweh is gracious. He has been gracious to you. He's been gracious to this nation. And he's been gracious to all mankind from this time on. His name will be John. And Zacharias is the angel. He will bring you great joy and gladness. And I think that was an understatement. Because Zechariah knew that. I'm going to have a son. He was already filled with joy and amazement. And the angel just confirms that. When Elizabeth hears that, Zechariah, you're going to see joy. Because she's been wanting a child her whole life. He's going to bring you great joy and gladness. And, says the angel, many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because this son was going to be a special son. This son meant to the whole nation that God had heard their prayers and that he was going to bless them for all time. And when the nation realized that this son was going to be the one who was going to bring in the Messiah, this was God's answer to prayer for so many generations from the time of Adam. And of course he was going to bring them great rejoicing. He carries on. This was a fantastic message. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. This son of yours, says the angel John, is going to be great in the sight of God himself. You see, it was this John who Jesus described as as follows. Jesus said of John, Among those born of woman, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That was Jesus' own assessment of John. Furthermore, says the angel, he will be a Nazarite. Now, Nazarite was one set apart for God of a priestly line. So there was another prayer answered for Zechariah. And he will not touch any strong alcoholic drinks at all. That was a sign, and there would have been food laws too. That was a sign that this person is set apart. Now look what the the angel says. It doesn't stop here, you see. It's like those ads on TV. But wait, there's more. He will be filled with the Spirit. Now in the Old Testament concept, when someone is filled with the Spirit, the Spirit came on that person for a very specific task so that they could fulfill that task for the Lord. And so the angel says, this John is going to be special. 
He is going to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, there's a great task for him to fulfill and God is going to pour his Spirit on John. And look at this. He's going to be filled with the Spirit from while he's in his mother's womb. Now that was really different. You see, the angel was saying to him, he's going to have a very special birth. And not just a very special birth. From the moment of his birth, he will have a very specific task for the Lord to do. What is his task going to do? To be. He will turn many back from their sins. You see, the nation is off on a tangent serving their own needs. They were very, very far away from the way God had asked them and told them to worship Him. The leadership was very, very far away from the Lord. And John addressed them later about that in very specific terms. We'll get to that. But this John would come as a forerunner. And when the the angel said that word, John knew, uh, Zechariah knew who he was speaking about. This is the one that has been prophesied about for so long. The one who would prepare the hearts of the nation for the Messiah. And he's going to be my son, John. Wow. What a great honor. You see, God had his plan in his timing. This couple expected a son and a child. God gave them a prophet. A one who was prophesied about for so long. God had his plan and his timing. The angel carries on, he says, and he will have the spirit and the power of Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And there he quotes from the book of Malachi. You see, John the Baptist would preach just like Elijah did. How did Elijah preach? Elijah was fearless. He confronted Ahab and he confronted the sin that the nation of Israel was doing and he confronted it face on. He didn't uh, wrap cotton wool around anything. He was very direct in his words. Later in history, as John does as well, how does John confront the religious leaders? He doesn't say to them, you people really need to pull your socks up. No, he doesn't say it. He says to them, you brood of vipers. You snakes, you have been leading the people astray. He's really confronted. And so he has the power and the spirit of Elijah. And so this is this John that the angel speaks to Zacharias about. He would bring the gospel message already before the Messiah. He would be proclaiming the gospel message to the nation. He would be telling them, turn away from your evil, your evil ways. Turn to God. Repent of your sins. And he would be saying this over and over and over again. And he would be turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children. You know, one of the results of the nation walking away from God was this. They were divorcing their wives. They were forsaking their families. And families were in disarray. Children were hurting. And he says to them, when these fathers hear the gospel message from this John, they will be challenged by it and they will turn back to God and as a result their families will again be united. God will again bring peace and healing. But not just that, 
He will turn the fathers to their children. Who is this that he's speaking about? It's not just the fathers on earth. He will also bring, he's speaking about the nation's fathers, Abraham, Moses, all these people who are witnesses to what is happening here. He will once again bring them in favor of this nation who had turned away from the Lord. Very interesting. And here, right in this moment, in that little room that we saw, this prophecy is about to be fulfilled. Not to here, it's all going well, isn't it? We have a man here, Zacharias, and he's a male too, so I understand. You know, what he should have done was just accept the angel's message, and he could have saved himself a whole lot of bother. But what does he do? I really like Mary later. She sees a whole lot of stuff happening. Elizabeth sees a whole lot of things happening. And they do very wise things as ladies. They ponder these things in their heart. In other words, the mouth's closed. They think on these things. But Zechariah, yeah, he just speaks it. He says, here's this angel standing in front of him. I mean, surely that's a big enough sign. He says, okay, verse 18. He says, but, but tell me, how will I know this is all true? Elizabeth and I are both old. How can this happen? And then the angel, and look at God, God's grace and his mercy at work here. Right in this little scene. Go to verse 18. Let's read this together. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. You know, and God could have wiped him out right there. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. This is one of God's most important messengers. The one who stands in the very presence of God. Most mortals wouldn't have a chance of standing in front of God. The other angelic beings don't stand in front of God. They're either bowing or worshipping God. But, but Gabriel is the one who stands at God's side and he is the one who takes God's messages to the people, and to the earth. He says, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you. This is sent from God himself, from the throne room of heaven. I've been sent to you to bring you this good news. Are you listening, Zechariah? This is good news. Here's an angel. My name's Gabriel. I've come from God. Are you with me? But, you've opened your mouth. And you have sinned before the Lord. And no, I am not going to strike you dead. And God hasn't told me to do that. But you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. Why was he made mute and deaf? Why? There's a specific reason for it. Because when he should have believed and kept quiet, what did he do? He spoke. In unbelief. And so he's made mute. And when he heard God's word, he should have heard it and accepted it. What does he do? He doesn't. He disbelieves. And so he's made deaf. Very specific. You see, God's mercy was on display. In the face of this blatant skepticism, and yes, we can kind of forgive the man in a way because he was old, and yes, nature wasn't going to do its normal thing through them. 
But there was an angel in front of him and God had brought him a special message. But he was still being skeptic. God brings him Gabriel and he says to him, now listen to me. And he should have just listened, but he doesn't. And God shows him mercy. And so imagine through the rest of this time how he tries and does the rest of what he had to do over there in the temple. He couldn't have had his mind on the job anymore. Now, we're going to step outside of this room, and we are now with the people. Now, he should have been in there for a very, very short time, because they knew if he stayed in longer, he might sin. And here he's staying away. And that could only be one of two things. God hadn't heard their prayers, and he had struck the priest dead, and he was lying there in the temple dead. Or, something extraordinary had happened. And so, when those temple doors open. The people were dead quiet. And in front of them appears Zechariah. And I can only imagine that he must have been fairly white in the face at this stage. And the people, just by looking at him, knew that something had taken place. Because instead of pronouncing God's blessing over them as he would have, with his arms raised, he would bless the people. He couldn't get a word out. And I can imagine the people in the front saying, Come on. And he's saying, I can't hear you. I can't speak. And so the people knew something had happened here. But the people, when they got round Zechariah, and they heard, in some way, he had told them what would happen. And in some indication was that he wrote to them, as he later did, when his son was born. He must have somehow communicated to the people what had happened. And the people were filled with happiness, because John was going to be born. This prophet who was becoming before the Messiah, and that meant that when John came, the Messiah would be next. So it is going to happen in our time, the people must have thought. And so this wasn't just a normal day at the temple, was it? And I can just imagine Zechariah to do his two weeks of duty, and then he was allowed to go home again. And those must have been the longest two weeks of his duty. And he couldn't wait, because he didn't have email and Facebook and things. He couldn't wait to get back to tell his wife, who was old, Dear, sit down. You're going to have a child. But he must have. And other things must have happened. Because we read that a little while later, Elizabeth became pregnant. And there was God's promise being fulfilled already. And so verse 24 says that Elizabeth became pregnant. And so Gabriel's message comes true and Elizabeth keeps herself secluded for five months. Now we don't know why she did that. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we can only surmise that she must have thought, well, maybe the people won't understand. Or, if they see me pregnant, well, they're going to get so excited that I'm not going to be able to handle this. Whatever. She kept herself in seclusion until it was fairly obvious that she was pregnant. And then the whole story would come out. And so we see at the end of this passage, verse 25, that God starts to fulfill his plan, which he had spoken about from Adam's time already. This is God at work. Now, we can ask the question at the end of that passage, this narrative, so what? It's interesting. 
But how does that apply to us today? I want to put four things to you. And I want to really challenge you from God's Word with these four thoughts. As Zechariah and Elizabeth were faithful, are you and I faithful in our service of the Lord? So many thousands of years later, the Messiah has come. He died for you and I. He made a way back to God. He then rose again from the dead. He has ascended on high and He is coming again. That is God's plan in action. But God's plan is not complete yet because Christ hasn't come back yet. So we are still in that story. And the question is to you and I, are you and I still faithful people? Have you remained faithful to the Lord in your walk before Him? Despite the sin that you see around you, despite the unfaithfulness that you see around you in our society today, despite trials that you may have had to endure as a believer in this life now, and I know as you sit here in front of me, there are quite a few of you who are and have been through extreme trials. The question is not how many trials have we gone through. The question is, are you still faithful to the Lord? You may be in Christ. You may be righteous before God. But the question is, are you still obedient to His Word? Are you walking blamelessly as Zechariah and Elizabeth did? And that is why they were called righteous. Obedience, blameless walk. What is your walk like before the Lord? Secondly, as a believer here this morning, are you faithfully serving God today? You see, right through Scripture and right through the Christian history, we see that God chooses and uses people who are already serving Him. Not those who are sitting around on their couches, twiddling their thumbs, saying, Lord, use me, use me, use me, and nothing's happening in their lives. God uses those who are already serving Him. It's a bit like trying to steer a car that's not moving. Anyone tried that? It's really difficult. You get into a big land cruiser, and you try moving that steering wheel to go in some direction when the car isn't moving forward. You can't do it. It's got to have movement, and then you can steer. God calls us to serve Him, and as we serve Him, He calls us for specific tasks. He enables us through His Spirit for that specific task, and then He uses us to His glory. But we need to be serving Him. And my question is, are you serving Him in your own home, in this community of Wanganui, and in this church? Are you serving the Lord? And yes, even through those mundane tasks, are you serving the Lord? If so, He will use you. Third thing is, God has His plan and His timing. Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? It doesn't matter how long it takes. Or are you tempted to get bitter at your lot in life? And I, as I've said, some of you have been through hard things in your lives. There's two reactions to that. We can become bitter to what's happened to us, or we can give it all to the Lord and leave it in His hands, cast our cares on Him, and leave it in the Lord's timing and in His plan. You see, bitterness only leads to the fruits of grumbling, and it only leads to getting angry at God and people around us, and it saps you of your joy. That's what bitterness does. We see with Elizabeth's 
reaction that she gave it to the Lord and carried on serving. Zechariah served the Lord. And you might have been through the loss of a child in your life. You might be facing financial collapse or severe hardship. You might be dealing with a family member who falls into serious sin. And I know there are a few of us who are really praying for relatives that have fallen away. We're talking about those times when things aren't self-explanatory. When answers are hard to come by, that is when we mustn't turn bitter. We must stay faithful to the Lord. You see, as I've said before, Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted a child. They got a prophet. God knows. I found this really good quotation and I want to quote it to you. Listen to this. It's so wise. Sometimes a roadblock in life is not a dead end, but only a fresh turn in the road. I'll repeat that. Sometimes a roadblock in life is not a dead end. And sometimes we see things happening and we think, that's it. It's not a dead end, but only a fresh turn in the road. What is God going to do with me in and through these circumstances that are now happening? Am I willing to trust God and His timing? And then fourthly, as we read through this narrative, do we take courage from this narrative that we have a story here, an account of a sovereign God at work? God had His plan from before Adam and He has His plan from into eternity until we will be worshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ into eternity. God has His plan. And even today in 2012, He has His plan working out and yes, even in your life. And it doesn't matter what you're going through in your life. It doesn't matter how big the problems. It doesn't matter how great the happiness that you are experiencing. God has His plan. He is at work. It is the same unchanging God who is at work. And when you come across those seemingly accidental moments that happen in your life, when somehow things seem to work together, and a lot of people say, well, that was lucky. No, it wasn't lucky. It was a sovereign God with divine appointments making things work for you. See the reality of God at work. Daryl Bach, who's a good Christian commentator, said this, very profound words too. Listen to this, and then I'm closing. God's timing, though different from ours, and you'll have experienced that, come on God, why not now? I need your answer now. God's timing, though different from ours, is infinitely wiser. Isn't that true? His ways are set to His clock, not ours. And they are often filled with things that cause us to wonder as we rejoice at God's surprises. I love that. God's timing, though different from ours, is infinitely wiser. His ways are set to His clock. And they are often filled with things that cause us to wonder as we rejoice at God's surprises. When God reveals His will to you, it will all work out perfectly for you. And if it doesn't work out perfect in this life, take courage. When you die and close your eyes, you will open them and be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then everything will be fulfilled perfectly for you. Do you take courage in that? Three amens. Great. Three of you do. That old song that says this. Listen to this. 
Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but how? To trust and obey. Isn't that what Zechariah and Elizabeth did? They trusted God, they obeyed God, and then they were happy in God because He answered their prayers. And the same for you and I. Trust God, whatever the circumstances, obey His word, whatever it says to you, do it, and you will find happiness in God. That's God that has promised that to you and us. Is He going to change His mind? Is He going to change His promises to us? No. He stays the same. His promises stay the same. You and I are the ones that need to apply. And then we will experience that joy as well. Take courage from this passage this morning. And I know there's several of you going through sicknesses, you're fighting cancer. There's several of us here. Take courage. God will work things out His way in your life. But you need to trust Him and obey His word and find your joy in Him. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, and yes, Lord, we want to call you our Father this morning because you've said we must. We thank you that in your wisdom, you've brought us to this specific passage this morning in the book of Luke. And you've told us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you've given us the example to show us the way of obedience and trust resulting in joy. And Lord, you might not bring an angel Gabriel into our lives every day. And I know you really do, but you do. But Lord, give us a greater faith. So that even just when we read your word, and we read the principles for our living in your word, we would take you at your word and put those principles into practice in our everyday lives. It doesn't matter what the cost will be we would do so and then we will experience your blessing. And Lord, thank you that you promised in your word through so many passages that even if we have to go through a whole lifetime of hardship and of trials, in the end, you will give us joy which we will not be able to explain, we will not be able to contain it. We will be jumping around like calves released from their stalls after a long winter. We will be boundless in our joy. And we know that will definitely happen one day when we're with you in paradise and we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have hope in our lives. Thank you that in those times in our lives where those big waves surge around us, when in those clouds are dark around us, we know that if we continue step by step to serve you and obey you, you will take us through. And we will be with you. And you will give us joy. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have this hope in our lives when so many around us don't. And Lord, I pray that we would not keep this message of hope to ourselves, but that we would take it out into our community, that we would take it out to our colleagues, that we would teach our children faithfully so that they too can experience you as their Savior. God, make us faithful to you, we pray. Amen.